Hello and welcome to a new old show. Work that one out, dear listener. My name is Chris and uh, you might remember me from such shows as The Symptoms. No, you might remember me as being a former host of a podcast called The Football Hipsters. Well, this is kind of the rebirth. We're hoping anyway. We're, we've decided that at the time of recording this in April 2020, just about nearly in May now, uh, we are at the, or in the midst um, of the global pandemic known as COVID-19 or coronavirus, whichever you prefer. And seeing as everybody is going either back to podcasting or producing more podcasts, uh, we thought, we well, why not get the team back together? Why not have a little chat and just see where these things go? So uh, we've decided to kind of rebrand ourselves a little bit. We're still the Football Hipsters podcast under the sort of nameplate of Let's Talk Football, which is exactly what we're going to do today. So the first thing I'm going to do is introduce uh, my cohorts. Um, first of all, uh, he's been with us um, since day one, I think. Uh, Josh, Mr. Josh Daw, how are you, sir? I am good, thank you. It's... Um... It's actually not been that long since we've podded last couple of days ago, or probably weeks ago. It feels, you know, you know how this is at the moment. All days have merged into yeah. one massive clusterfuck. Going pretty much, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, pretty much, yeah. It's all good. Good, good. Well, nice to have you um, back on board. Um, and uh, we had to have a view from Spain, of course, as well. So, uh, welcome back to Joel. How are you, Joel? I'm good, mate. Um, I'm glad to be back talking about football. It's been. It's interesting, there's lots to talk about with no football being played, isn't it? It's a mm. really weird one. We've I mean, had no football, I can't remember, is it six weeks? I think it is the six week I now. I can't remember yeah. the last game I watched. The last game that I watched that sticks in my mind was Liverpool Atletico Madrid. I think that was the same for me, actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah so yeah. it's a long time ago, but there's lots to discuss, so I'm looking forward to this chat. Good stuff, good stuff. Nice to have you back on board. And uh, we're also welcoming back Drew. How are you doing, sir? Exhausted, but I'm good. Good to see you guys. <laughs> you look like a tired man. Have you been? Have you been very busy? I, I woke up probably about ten minutes before I came on. That's why I needed another five minutes. Hey, that's fine. You got the it's like, I don't know, It's weird. Like with this kind of stuff, my anxiety has been kind of through the roof, so I don't go to bed till four or five o'clock in the morning sometimes. Oh, so, I feel you. I feel you on that yeah. one. Yeah, I'm completely with you on that one. Um, <laughs> for those listeners that might be new to the pod, uh, Drew's based in the US, so there's a lot of us in different time zones at the moment. Um, but his specialist subject is very much German football, so that's where we will be going. Um, and uh, last but not least, um, I- I've saved the best for last, of course, the lady amongst us. Uh, Lana, how are you doing, my dear? Uh, I'm all, thank you. Uh, all good, you know, all considering. Yes, yes. Well, it, it's with you we're going to start. There's, there's a reason I've, I've left you to last, because before we before we talk about football, um, you have unfortunately been a, a victim of said virus, and you, you've had a, you had a tough few weeks i guess it would be fair to say um just for our listeners out there and obviously you can say as much or as little as as you want but how did you how how are you feeling now how how did it all come about um and just just give a a bit of an insight as to how you sort of got through that period of time because you you weren't very well were you bless you for a while no i wasn't and victim sounds so it sounds so horrible it does doesn't it it does doesn't it (laughs) Uh, I, I I wanted to look positive on it. I was like, yeah, me and Dybala, we have something in common at last. Um, uh, poor guy. Uh, I think he has an even rougher time than I do. Uh, but we'll touch on that later. Um, I uh, I blame London because uh, I went to London. Uh, and it, I don't know if I got it here. 
and brought it to London or if I got it there because I think it was my third day that I started to feel really bad. Uh, my throat was really dry and it was really hard to swallow. Please don't make any jokes. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, my joints were hurting and the headache kicked in, the dry eyes and then, you know, the having issues breathing feeling like an elephant was sitting on my chest. Uh, I have asthma as well. So it was basically everything in one go. Um, it was really hard. Uh, I think it was like the 10th day that I really struggled to breathe. So I ended up in the hospital. Uh, I was actually going for a walk. Uh, it was at night because I was so tired of sitting inside. So I brought my dad with me, uh, with social distance, of course. Uh, and we were in the woods <laughs> when I suddenly had a really bad, I was struggling to breathe. And he was panicking because he was calling the ambulance, trying to explain where we were uh, while trying to remain calm and actually making sure I wasn't semi-choking and dying. So at last, he was able to explain where we were. And I ended up getting admitted to the ICU and I was there for like three days uh, before I got discharged uh, and I think on the 18th day uh, I was much better uh, I was able to breathe better uh, but I'm still very tired I sleep a lot and now Ramadan has started as well so I'm fasting so it's like I'm even more tired uh, while trying to work um, so I guess it's that I eat less as well, uh, less than I already do. So um, it's been hard. It's been really tough. Uh, and uh, I've been struggling mentally a lot. Uh, so uh, poor therapist. I've been to him a lot <laughs> lately. Uh, but I'm better now uh, compared to when I came home and the weeks following. So um, I just want to tell everyone, please stay inside. Uh you don't have to go out uh, and do all the things you feel you need to do. It's just, just stay inside. Because uh, you might, you know, there's so many people who are dying around us. Uh, and it just annoys me and angers me that people won't listen. Um, mm. Yeah, a lot of people are, are not heeding the advice. I think, um, speaking from a, a British point of view, there's a lot of people in the UK that are, um, quote unquote, getting bored. Um, getting restless well you know diseases and viruses don't get bored or restless they don't stop so yeah echo to what you said Levano it's, it's really good to have you back um, with the team of course and, and I'm very glad to know that you're on the mend and, and that's really good good news to hear um, what we will do is as I say we're going to kind of run through the leagues a little bit and just talk about the individual uh, countries that we kind of represent quote unquote um just to give you a bit of a heads up on what's happened since we last spoke to you um for those of you who are new to our podcast um or new to our faces probably not many of you but you never know um we set up the football hipsters podcast a while a long long time ago now probably two years ago i think um we sort of talked about all the relevant leagues across the across the world each week and um got a bit of a cult following really enjoyed it and the only reason we kind of stepped away was was commitments time-wise work-wise schedule-wise it was a bit of a nightmare um so we're, we're very much kind of treating this as a, as a bit of a, a rebirth and a rebrand uh, under sort of similar guidelines but we're we're, we're just going to kind of scale it back a little bit um no individual segments it's going to be just a bit of a roundtable podcast and, and as for schedule 
we're hoping to do sort of once uh, once a fortnight to begin with, um, you know, once a month if needs be, um, and maybe but going back to once a week if we can if we can work things out. So um, no promises, but uh, if you do enjoy what we uh, what we give you today, then then do let us know um, by way of any comments or um, or feedback. We appreciate it. Um, we're working on some new graphics and a new Twitter account as well, so that will come. Uh, right, that's enough nattering for me, Josh. We're going to start with you. Um, a lot of our listeners uh, probably will be based in the UK because um, that's where we are. The The Premier League and the EFL slash lower leagues seem to be very differently apart in terms of their thought processes of, of where football is at the moment. Um, as the guys and, and London were saying six weeks ago, roughly, we, we had this sort of UK lockdown. Um, a few clubs, namely Arsenal and West Ham, I think, have started some social distance training, whatever that means. Um, the Premier League are, are going ahead with this. We will be back um, sort of rhetoric. EFL is sort of saying, well, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, I think the Scottish League have, have put a fork in, the, in their leagues as, as things stand. Where, where do you sit on what's going on in terms of the English game at the moment? I mean, it comes to... That a similar kind of debate we had with VAR coming in. I think it's the same way the FA have kind of dealt with this. I know obviously one of them is a more serious subject than the latter, but you can kind of see how the FA operate compared to even just other leagues. You know, we'll go into the ones that have been more aggressive with their stance of whether or not the league will return. I know UEFA have slowly come back with dates of when they'd like everybody's leagues to change or at least to finish and be finalised and what we'll see from there. But I think the most interesting story I've got at the moment isn't from the Premier League. I think the Premier League, there's so much just hearsay around there. It's difficult to really understand what's going on. The EFL, again, are just a lot quieter than the Premier League, certainly from what I've seen of when they want to return or even if they will return on that regard because they've got so many fixtures they need to organise. You know, But at least with the Premier League, it's 20 teams they've got to think about. The EFL has got another 72 that they need, well, 71 they need to look at. I mean, can you remember this is the season where Berry went under? Uh, it seems like an absolute world away that that was happening to such a club. Um, that's where I think the most interesting story comes in because we're at 71 clubs at the moment. Uh, there is Barrow, who are top of the Vanarama League. And from memory, they've already cancelled that league. Uh, from the right league, it just covers the because you know Chris, uh, you were talking pre-pod that you know all like Sunday league or below non-league football has been basically postponed indefinitely at the yeah. moment whilst they wait stories. But with Barrow, it's been a really interesting story with them anyway. Uh, a couple of bigger outlets have covered what's happening down there with Ian Evitt, who was part of the Blackpool team that came up with Ian Holloway if you remember that kind of swashbuckling style of play, that's exactly what he's trying to replicate down there uh, or up there, I should say, in Barrow. And they're kind of trying to get that place from Berry because they're five points clear, no, four points clear uh, at the top of the league at the moment. There is that kind of assumption as well. If you're going to bring football back, you can avoid this season or leave them at these finalised results, are you going to continue having League 2? It's going to have one fewer club? Or why don't you just vote to bring us back in? And that's probably the most interesting story about it because as well as promotion relegations, 
they could say you know draw a line in the sand like people like um the dutch leagues have done eredivisie have gone they're not really thinking of doing promotion relegation for this season where you've got this case that there is technically a club missing from the hierarchy what happens there and i think if anybody is interested in that kind of football um and what's going to happen is that's the story i'd be looking at um i've also been reading about you know because where we've seen about staff being furloughed and there's been those questions it's the lower leagues of where not having these football games is a lot more uh, a pressing issue. You know, whilst the big Premier League clubs and some of the championship clubs can kind of sustain not having, you know, ticket revenue across, say, this kind of six-week period, just roughly about the same size as, you know, a general summer or pre-season. It's these clubs that, you know, the gate receipt is what's keeping the lights on the next week after. Uh, they've mm. been, uh, I've seen at Barrow, have also had, there's over £7,000 of their ticket money that uh, where they were meant to kind of give back to, or they were offering to give back to their supporters, has been donated back to the club to help them fund. So I think it's stories like that as well that just shows how tight things are down in the lower leagues and where they need kind of a swift resolve. And I think it will be on the Premier League mainly to try and finally acquire some of that money that they've got in from TV deals and stuff and filter that further down the English game because some of these clubs are going to need sustaining. Otherwise, we'll end up with further issues like we saw at the beginning of this season, to be honest, with the likes of Morecambe, Bolton, Berry, have already mentioned, getting terribly close to going under. Mm. And potentially some of the some of the even quote-unquote bigger clubs. Um, you know, that, that when I say bigger clubs, I mean like, sort of championship clubs i think there's a lot going on there that people don't necessarily realize um yeah. you know clubs that are of, of a good size standing communities that have maybe um shall we say preemptively put money into the their seasons in the hope that they'll go up or hope they'll make the playoffs etc yeah, so absolutely yeah that's probably probably something we will um sorry go yeah, as I say, we've also got Newcastle as well, which is another yeah. story bubbling under. <laughs> yes, which is we will, uh, at what unfortunate will, time would you have a tax bill to come up, Mr. Ashley? We'll definitely touch on that one. We'll definitely touch yeah. on that one. Um, I want to hop across to Germany next, though, um, Drew, because there's of all of the the, the big five leagues, quote unquote. Um, there's we'll come on to what's happened in France in the last twenty four hours in a minute, but in Germany they seem to be, if you read the press the furthest ahead now obviously a lot of the english media um tend to sort of not really know what's going on in other leagues they just speculate um just bring us up to date on on how well, what's your understanding of where the bundesliga is at the moment there's been pictures of dortmund back in training um and following paderborn's um Twitter, uh, instagram account there's a lot of work going on with them at the moment where do you sort of see it standing and, and do you think that they'll get the governmental sort of green light, if you will, to go back ahead if they wanted to do so? I don't know if they will or they won't, but that's kind of the last hurdle. It's, you know, whenever Merkel comes on and says, you know, how Germany's going to handle things moving forward will depend on if the league opens or closes. So um, my understanding of it is simply, it's just kind of a, almost like a semblance of a return to normalcy, you know, um, Obviously, it'll be, it'll be behind closed doors. Um, but I think just a lot of people are just kind of looking for some sort of picnic right now, and it's hard to argue that football is one of those things that everyone's kind of looking forward to. Um, some other clubs have, you know, they're instituting 
training in smaller groups, you know, um, six, eight players, they come in, next wave comes in like an hour later, they train on separate pitches. So they're trying to social distance to at least keep the players fit and ready to go. Um, obviously what we see with Arsenal as well is a lot of players are training at home. Clubs are buying um, stationary bikes for players that may not have them at home. They're putting them in their homes and then they're, and they're keeping up with their fitness regimens that way. So um, that's kind of the situation at the minute. I mean, I'm kind of with everybody else. So I don't think it should start personally. I just feel like, you know, as someone who does coach and something I have to consider even starting in August when I have preseason is that all it takes is one player that has it in a situation where, even if you're social distancing with training and you're training in smaller groups, one player can give it to six. And then if that happens, you know, all it takes is one case to break out in a league match, despite, you know, being paid, played behind closed doors that just kind of railroads the whole thing. And I think a lot of Premier League clubs or players are thinking along the same similar lines that it just takes one case. And then we're back to square one. And from a scientific standpoint, a lot of people are expecting this to have a second wave come August or September. So, and that's when a lot, a lot of the leagues are trying to get back in um, for next season, at least, even if they're trying to finish through the summer because there's no Euro. I don't know. I think it's just tricky, but with Germany involved, I think it's just, again, um, a return to normalcy, but also Bundesliga finances are really dictated by the TV deals. And they don't have the sponsorship that Premier League has, that La Liga has, um, even Serie to an extent. So you have smaller clubs who, are really struggling. Even Schalke, who are a bigger club, you know, even they're struggling financially because of this. You know, may have potentially railroaded their deal for Tobito. I know there's a lot of interest on on their end, but now they might not be able to afford it because they're just not getting their revenue to be able to afford it. Um, and maybe Joel can mention more of that later as well from the Spanish standpoint for the player. But um, it's tough right now. Um, so you have clubs like you know Fortuna Dusseldorf who might be struggling. Like a great a great deal just because of it, or you know, but a Bremen who always struggle financially somehow, some way. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, I think it's just a little bit difficult. But um, I don't know if I had to put my stamp on it, I would say don't go ahead. Just from I think it's better to be safe than sorry. Um, you know, kind of uh, what Lana was talking about as well with her personal experience is, is, is a prime example. And then like I have a lot of friends and family who work in healthcare, and they all know somebody who has it or they themselves have it. You know, so it's just like, I don't think it's something you should be risking with. You know, I think there are other ways to go about it. And I think clubs are doing the best they can, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we'll, we'll certainly have a, a, an open debate in a minute about whether we feel we should go ahead or, or, or not. Um, Joel, I'll come to you. Um, as Drew mentioned there, obviously the, the TV deal is quite a big thing. Um, the Spanish game is um, also sort of in this kind of shall we, shall we not phase. Um, yeah. It's been a, bit, been a bit of a weird one, La Liga, because I've heard so much talk about the Barcelona players. Um mm about the whole wages dispute, which you feel free to touch on. Mm. But it seems like a lot of the other clubs are not getting mentions. Is that just because no. of the English press or is that what's happening in Spain no, as well? I think the reason the Barcelona players, from a situation with the wage deferral and the sacrifice of the wages to pay for staff, stemmed from what we've seen in the last eight months, nine months, with what's going on with Barcelona and uh, Bartomeu, the president, um, and the ways were in the club. Um, there's been a number of occasions this year where Messi has spoken out against well, Eric Abidal and then the president. Um, and not only when he, Messi was obviously the captain as a lead representative of um, of the players in, in this situation, he 
made a standpoint and, a, and, a, and an Instagram story post, which is very rare for him to, to even get an interview out of him, never mind anything like that, where he criticised the board again for basically leaking that the players were not willing to take a pay cut. And what he was saying is, we wanted to do it on our terms to make sure the money goes to where it should go, not to fund the board or not to fund back into the club for other things. We wanted it to go to the people who need it. So I think that narrative has gone on for the last eight or nine months. So the more spotlight was on that again, because it, again, it was the players versus the board. And this is something you continually see. And even to the point of this crazy situation where the board had paid a, and there's an independent investigation by PwC onto this, into this, sorry, where the board had paid a social media company to criticise the likes of Messi, PK on Instagram, Twitter, basically to to put a a mark against their character in 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 then in effect to boost the board. So this has all gone on. So I think when it came to the deferral and the talks, more was made of it because again it was two camps against one another. Now these type of things have gone on in every single club in Spain to be able to um, keep the clubs afloat. Players have necessarily taken a pay cut or a, or a deferral until we can we can get football back. Um, Barcelona independently are financially in a squeeze well before this, um, really struggling. This has not helped. Um, they will be very forceful to try and get football back. I would think Madrid would be the same. I would think the big clubs will be the same. Javier Tebas, who's the La Liga um, president, is really pushing for it to come back. And he's basically keep saying if they don't come back, this is at a cost of 750 million euros to the clubs in Spain. So again, it's that almost what we're seeing in England. It's that kind of the clubs now pushing the agenda. But interestingly, the Spanish um, Prime Minister has said from May the 4th, the players can go back train individually. Two weeks after that, they can go back and train in club in groups. Two weeks after that, they can um, look potentially coming back to play some games but from stage two of that what must happen is the players must quarantine so the players would then leave the families and stay at a base and only the playing staff and the and the, the extra staff the backroom staff would all be in one place and then there's obviously very regular testing so there's a clear three-stage plan in Spain to get it back clearly it's going to be behind closed doors but I think it just follows the same picture as the Premier League and every other club every other league in Europe basically um, money and the the economics of football is dictating this rather than the health of um, the individuals involved. There was some report this week that some players within a lot of the big clubs in Spain are not comfortable about going back on May the 4th to even do individual training, never mind the next stage, which is to go uh, as part of group training. So um, it falls into the same category. I mean, nobody's got the right answer. I think I think everyone's accepted that there won't be a crowd in a football stadium until at least next year now. I think that's clear. Um, but it's just a case of the clubs need it economically. I mean, to take, you know, Barcelona are looking at doing a recruitment drive in the summer for Lataro Martinez, for Neymar. I can't see, I know we're going to touch on transfers. I can't see that even being possible because allegedly, you know, what you hear is that they make between 15 to 20 million euros per match day um, and they make something, it's something like 36 million euros every three months through the museum. Obviously, none of that's happening. So economically, and that's just Barcelona, like I keep saying, that's going to happen with every other club. So the knock-on is significant. It's not only the, the broadcast revenues and, and turnstiles, it's everything else 
that's attributed to them financially um, they're struggling with. So, um, you know, personally, I don't think it should come back, but I know that the um, the financial side is going to drive this. And I think what we're seeing, particularly in the Premier League, is the clubs now jostling for position, getting players back visibly onto training grounds, pushes the government to make a decision. And I think that's where they've put, they've put themselves. They've obviously got together and, and decided to do this. And it puts pressure on the government to really start to move the Premier League forward. But it's the same for the league as well. The clubs are going to try and drive this forward. But it only takes one player, like Drew said, to get ill. And um, and then how does football look uh, mm. if that happens? Um, yeah. I, it's interesting. Do, do the, it'd be interesting, do the players get a choice in this? Um, because there's some... Some might not want to, one, risk getting the virus. Some might not want to be away from the families in this time for two, three, four months, how long it takes to, to finish the season. So um, do the players get a chance? Do the players have a have a chance to voice their opinion? And if they don't, if they refuse to play, are they in breach of their own contract? Mm. Um, so that that's interesting as well, I think. How yeah. many of your players are actually in Spain as well? Uh, I know Matt Ryan, um, Brighton goalkeeper. Is it Australia, Australia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, yeah. he went out there for rehab. Um, yeah. Same with Sun Hong Ming is still in South Korea. You've got yeah. the same issue in Spain as well, where players. I would think so. Spain. I would think that the the Spanish, the South American players will have probably gone back home if they could get a flight back during the start of all of this. Um, but it's a good point. I mean, what's the chance of them being able to get back from May the fourth if the training's starting? Um, mm. So that that's another possible that's another problem for them to face is to try and physically get the players all in one place, um, mm. and and try and get it going from there. More more logistical issues. Um, mm. Lala, let's let's cover the other two leagues that we've missed out because arguably they've got the, the two biggest stories going on as we speak. Um, Serie A was was the first league that essentially, well, the, the first country in, in Italy that had this. The, the biggest um, influence in, in terms of leagues and, and what went on. We saw Daniele Regani being one of the first footballers to sort of actively say he had the illness. As you mentioned there, Paolo Dybala is now contracted, I think it's four times now, which is just madness. Um, and then yesterday we saw the <coughs> French president uh, essentially say there will be no Liga or Ligue 2 now um, until at least September. Um, essentially, meaning that they've been very clever in how they've how they've stated this. They haven't said the leagues are over, but they've kind of said they're not coming back. So it's kind of like one of those: we're either going to start a complete fresh season, or we'll start again this season in September, whatever that may be. Um, and I think PSG have come out and said they're fully focused now on on whatever the Champions League might be, and they've you know accepted they won't be winning their seventy fourth uh, league title in a row. Um, but that aside. What, what's your sort of thoughts, particularly on Italy? Because I know that's a, a league you follow very closely and, and Juventus as a, as a club, particularly with those two players. What's your thoughts on where where France and Italy have, have gone currently with their situation? Well, Italy, uh, I think, has been... I was surprised at the lack of reporting on how many players uh, were tested positive for it, I suppose. Uh, I would have assumed more Atalanta players were um, tested positive considering they went to Spain. Uh, but a majority of the players that have been confirmed to be tested are Juventus players, with Matuidi and Regani both tested and now declared well, healthy, whatever I should call it. 
Dybala uh, got confirmed today for the fourth time in six weeks. Uh, he also uh, uh, has left the country. Uh, I think it's like 10 Juventus players who have left the country. Uh, the Licht left uh, last week. So you have players like Ronaldo, Kedira, uh, Costa, Higuain, all of these abroad. Hopefully Kedira stays abroad and doesn't come back. Uh, but the main concern is for Dybala because we don't know how this will affect him uh, in the long term. Um, there's been some studies on how this could cause damage to the lungs, especially for athletes who have the type of training that they do. Um, and it's a major concern for someone like Dybala because he's so talented. He's, you know, we always keep talking about he's finally going to reach his peak, uh, which we probably thought that he might have had this season because he's been so good. Um, and it would be such a shame if this would set him back. Uh, I mean, there was scheduled for the league to resume on May 22nd, last I checked. Uh, but with the way it's going, with the rate, you know, the death rates going up and not being stabilized, I don't see Italy resuming anything. Um, and, you know, let alone the league or the Cups uh, for that matter. And I think, you know, with France cancelling, uh, it was a French pr uh, prime minister who came out yesterday and said that all sporting activities are, you know, effectively put on hold, basically cancelled until September, uh, which would be very difficult, you know, for this season to finish when you had the next season scheduled to start on August 14th, then postponed to August 21st. So um, it's difficult to know. Uh, where to begin because you have so many different, you know, club presidents, <laughs> Aulas, uh, for one, who proposed that you, you know, start the league again, you resume the league in September, finish it throughout December, and then follow the calendar year. So you're basically up to speed ahead for the World Cup, which seems very fair and smart, if you think of it. Um, because, you know, with if basically cancelling the league, Lyon is set to miss out on the Champions League for the first time in 25 years. They might also miss out on the Euro League because... But, but Lana, sorry, is the World Cup not the year after? Isn't it 2022? Yeah. So you would have the next two... Cal you would follow ah, the next right, two okay. calendar years. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Which is smart because of it's set in the winter time. Yeah. Uh, mm. If I say it's smart, you will have certain Marseille player, <laughs> a fan coming out to haunt me. <laughs> because, you know, now you have UEFA saying you should, you know, uh, the club should get the Champions League spots based on coefficient points, which means that Marseille would miss out. Uh, but if it's uh, decided based on league standings, which we'll, we will know more about in May, uh, when the French Football Federation will decide if there will be a title uh, to give to PSG uh, will there be any relegations uh, promotions uh, who will go to the Euro Europa League because you have Saint-Etienne and Lyon in two cup finals and that would automatically give you Europa place or will you go based on the league standings which are Nice and Rem in Nice and Nîmes in 5th and 6th which gives you Europa place so there's a lot 
to, you know, consider how will you do it. You have the transfer window opening up soon as well. Uh, how will that come into play when other leagues are technically still active and haven't, you know, been declared void, cancelled, postponed? So I'm hoping this is a domino effect that other leagues will follow because I don't see it being possible for them to, you know, resume the season when you also have to have a break in between and then you have a preseason and there's scheduled preseason tours, I assume. And, you know, with the Euros cancelled as well. Basically, I don't think football will be coming back anytime soon, uh, whether it's in France or in Italy for that matter. Yeah, yeah, well, but... Sorry, but I mean, the two leagues that have gone early with this are France and Holland. Um, mm. And I don't know the numbers, Belgium. but it would, yeah, Belgium, it, it would say to me that the leagues with the, with the lower broadcast revenue are able to do this. So, mm. you know, I, I, the League One is set to miss out on over 400 million. Uh, euros, which seems like a small amount compared to, you know, say yeah. other big leagues. Uh, but I think this could be a blessing in disguise because this would allow League One clubs to focus more on the academy. If you would come to that situation where you're you're basically broke and you can't go and shop in the transfer window like a certain Qatari club in Paris would. Uh, which, you know, could be beneficial to some some clubs, you know, like Rennes, Lille, Lyon, who all focus heavily on their academy. Um, so there's, you know, positive and negative sides to it. Uh, I think the ones who would, you know, uh, be negatively affected by this are probably the smaller clubs who you see doing much better. Someone like, you know, Strasbourg, uh, Nîmes, who are surprisingly higher up on, you know, the table compared to, you know, Monaco, Saint-Étienne, who are struggling a lot uh, this season. So, um, how, how does that affect, because you mentioned a couple of lesser clubs there, Lana, in terms of the French League, that there's one club um, in Spain. Is it, is it Hetafe? Was it Hetafe mm. who were riding high? Yeah. Um, yeah. Sort of a club like that, I think Josh could probably speak about, like, Sheffield United. Bundesliga um, mm. wise I can't think of a team that's, outperform themselves this, this year feel free to, to jump in if there is one I can't think of one that's really overperformed um, but yeah for a team like Hetafe I mean when you look at mm. a club like that or like a Sheffield United I mean they, they've literally had the seasons of their lives I mean yeah. it's all very well talking about you know who's going to win the title who's going to get relegated what about a team like that where literally their league position could transform the next 10 years of that club and that's just gone it, it, it's uh, I mean, they, you'd feel that they would be one of the ones that would be pushing for it, wouldn't you? I think clubs in that situation would be the, the most forceful. Um, likewise, Atletico Madrid, as it stands at the minute, would be in the Europa League if they finish the season today and, and award current positions based on, on league positions. So, again, they'll be ones that will probably fancy the chances to get back in the top four and finish in the top four. But it's a real shame for clubs who have massively overachieved like Atletico. I mean, they had a good season last year and they got in Europa League, but they've gone one better this year and... and are in the Champions League position as it stands. And there's no to say that they would finish there at 38 games, but um, you've got to base it on where they're at now and they've, and they've done extremely well up to this point. Mm, yeah. um, Wouldn't they miss out on coefficient points as well at like Atletico yeah. Madrid? I think uh, I read that. I'm not well. sure on Atletico Madrid, to be honest. Uh, I don't know because they've got, I mean, they had two finals in three years, didn't they? Champions League finals. That must have 
given them some points. And I guess they could argue they're still in the Champions League, quote unquote. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's the other yeah. thing about the holders. So that would give them a, a nudge up the rankings. Um, well, how does it affect, Drew? How does it affect teams like the superpowers in, in the Bundesliga? Because uh, Borussia Dortmund obviously are, are one of the, the major clubs as are Bayern Munich. Uh, uh, Bayern have been, um, they've got, they have quite a few big players out of contract this summer. They've, they've secured Alfonso Davies to a long-term deal um, recently, but there's a, a lot of other big name players that they're having to try and negotiate contracts with. I think Dortmund were in the process of, of sort of a bit of a rebuild. There was some speculation about whether Favreau would stay on as well. Um, and then there's other teams in the Bundesliga that, again, were rebuilding this season. Um, Leverkusen were, were sort of under a bit of a rebuild. How does it affect the team Leipzig, another one? How does it affect teams like that? I, I guess Leipzig's a really good example because of how heavily funded they are by a business that, you know, all, all of a sudden has to look at its overheads. I mean, they're going to be okay. You know, they're, um, this is the beauty of their business models. They don't spend a ton of money on incomings. So, whereas another club, like, you know, if you were, I don't know, uh, PSG City, you know, that, that ilk of, of clubs that will shell out, you know, stupid sums of money on a player. Leipzig really recruit quite well. They rely on bringing in younger players and developing. So, from a spending standpoint, what's going on with COVID won't affect their finances too, too much. I know that, you know, how, how the direct links obviously with with Red Bull might might take a little bit of a hit, but they'll be okay. Similarly, you know, Bayern has you know people that work for Audi on 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 Bayern's board, so they're also going to be okay more or less. Um, Dortmund are fine, but you know the, the thing about German clubs is they're very very good at selling places they need to. But um, like for example, um, with Dortmund with uh, Jadon Sancho, like you know all the speculation about if he's going to leave this summer and. You know, Michal Zork is adamant that, you know, he can leave if the fee is met. So that's how they'll figure out their finances. But if not, they're still going to be fine. You know, Dortmund is financially a lot better off than where it was five years ago. So they'll be mm. okay. But I think the issue is, again, I guess clubs like Paderborn, Werder uh, Bremen, um, you know, Dusseldorf, those clubs who are currently sitting in relegation. Um, and, and again, Werder Bremen, you know, a pretty massive club domestically, they're on 18 points. So you guys talked before about how it affects other clubs, you know, and you were saying how you don't think the status quo will matter at the top, but then Bundesliga it's going to be different lower down, but it also will affect smaller clubs. For example, um, SC Köln just got back into the Bundesliga, but they're sitting in 10th. You know, what, if the season is now in void, you know, that, that's a big kind of hit and miss for them. Um, Union Berlin sits 11th, I think. So same thing. So the, both those clubs are having good seasons when they've come in. And then now it's going to be kind of a not for nothing thing. But then also, again, this season going null and void would actually help for the Bremen save relegation. Um, so I don't know. But um, for the big clubs, again, they'll be fine. Um, I mean, Bayern's a, the third or fourth richest club on the planet. Dortmund, I think, is top 10. Um, and Leipzig don't spend a ton of money on players. Um, and their financial structure for contracts is still like all German clubs. It's structured incredibly well. Even Bayern don't spend reportedly more than 150,000 pounds a week on players, even like the likes of Barbara Lewandowski, for example. So um, I don't think it's going to have that big of an issue for them or, or for the teams at the top. But um, my concern is the other teams who maybe don't have that financial luxury. So yeah. I think that's makes you wonder about what it's like. Mm -hmm. It makes you wonder about teams like Hamburg and Hanover, yeah. two of the big guns who are in the second tier as 
as well. Like they would have been looking at this season as we're coming straight back, and now all of a sudden they may not be. And you wonder how much revenue they would have set aside to have got re-promoted, if you like. It's almost like a team going from the Premier League to the Championship that's a big name, thinking we'll come straight back up. And now all of a sudden they're having to look at it of starting all over again, potentially. It's it's quite a weird dichotomy with, with teams of that stature, I guess. And what it might force a team like Hamburg to do is to sell a player who maybe they yeah. wanted to keep hold of, like Yasha Wagnerman, now might have to be sold this summer, as an example, if case they if, if things don't go through, just to be able to afford certain other aspects. You know, Hamburg usually spends both means, it doesn't really belong in Bundesliga's fight, so, you know, it's, it's tricky for them. So, yeah. I think it's the question of what happens with all the kind of existing like transfer dealings that are already out there. Just thinking of von Leipzig with um, Augustine at Leeds. Mm. I think his mm. deal was if they get promoted, they have to buy him for 15 mm. mil. And mm. it's a case of that's 15 mil that you don't know what's going to happen because EFL haven't sorted themselves out. Premier League haven't sorted themselves out. Yeah. And I think there's plenty of those kind of loan deals that are around. Um, I was looking through and just thinking which clubs are going to be affected worse from this. If Fulham don't go up to the Premier League, they're screwed because they've got to buy Anthony Knockarts at the end of the yeah. season. Mm. And the the fee that was being offered for him is not one that is going to be generally sustainable. And then what have Fulham got as well to kind of mm. sell in that time? Is it Mitrovic going again? Uh, it's it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of happens. And I think there's so many clubs that are kind of pushing for seasons to be officially concluded and especially agents and players. And you say, we know how heavily uh, agents now influence the game. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Mina Raiola and uh, the rest of them are on the phone to their respective leagues where they've got a lot of players in where they've got to say, we need, we want a solution because I'm going to lose out on millions because, you know, we've got this clause in this player's contract and this deal is going to go through if, you know, this doesn't happen or vice versa. And it's going to be a nightmare from that point of view. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder what that sees with other clubs, um, especially like Jaden Sancho. How much is he now worth in a post-COVID-19 transfer mm-hmm. window? The it same. Talking, but... <laughs> but are you going to get it? Do any of these clubs no, have the money? Exactly, won't. yeah. No. That's the problem. It's a, that's a great shout because another example um, is that Leipzig were 100% interested in bringing... Patrick Schick on and a full deal after the season, considering how well he's played on loan, that's going to be railroaded potentially because of the fee that maybe Roman might command his wages. Also, not, they might not get the recruitment from the Augustine deal, like you just said. So it's a knock on effect of a lot of different things. And I think, and Joel's brought it up, and I think we could probably all agree that regardless of the league, whatever big five league it is, everyone is heavily dependent on football finances now. I mean, Lana does bring up a good point about, you know, France is a good example about now it might force other clubs to focus on youth production. You already get that in places like the Eredivisie or the Jubilee Pro League or in Germany as well. Clubs, even bigger clubs, still give chances to young players, but it might we might see more of that in something like the Premier League, potentially, which mm. would, would, again, suit some clubs and also completely decimate other clubs, depending on which club you're referring to. So, you know, chances will certainly be tricky, but what I think it might mean is that I, I don't think we're going to see the transfers that we would have seen this season. I think this summer was, was shaping up to be a massive summer in terms of the kind of players that were leaving. You know, there was all the speculation about Dybala or um, Tara Martinez. You have Yedin Sancho that people are discussing, like all uh, Timo Weiner, all these players who likely or could have at least gone somewhere else. But now, I mean, clubs aren't going to want to 
Dortmund's not going to sell Jadon Sancho for forty million. There's no way, you know. So they're going to want to keep all, keep a hold of him, and who even knows? So yeah, it's a good good point there. I think we might like see. Yeah, I think we might see an even greater gap between the big clubs and the small clubs in terms of their mm-hmm. financial muscle because, as you said, there's all these clubs that can probably deal with this or kind of suck up some of it. And when you've got, um, you know, especially these leagues that are very much like one-team leagues, I know the Premier League has got that at the moment as well, is what are Liverpool and Man City going to be doing uh, in the transfer window? Are they just going to be scooting up all the players from you know, teams that can't afford to keep the lights on, you know, is it going to be another raid of, you know, kind of like a Watford or a West Ham, especially. Or, Nor- or Norwich as well. People thought, like, yeah. you know, three or four yeah. of their players who big clubs have eyes on and they might be forced to sell because of the points you've just mentioned. So. Yeah. 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 I want to ask you, Josh, and I want to, uh, I'll, I'll give you Premier League and I want to speak to Joel about Championship as well before I come back to Lana about something European. Um, Josh, you first in terms of Liverpool. Um, just briefly, we don't need to go into a huge amount of depth, but there's a lot of very unhappy Liverpool fans out there. Who'd have thought? Um, but after 30 years of, of not winning the league, they're, you know, if I take off my bias hat for a second, they're quite cheesed off at the fact that there is a growing sense of dread that the one time that everything clicks for them, they're not going to get the title. Um Something that has really interested me is how quiet Jurgen Klopp's been about all this. Um, you haven't really heard a lot from him, um, mainly, I think, because that's kind of his way. You know, he, he is one of those that he'll speak out, speak out about certain things. He won't say anything about other things. Now, where do you sit on, on let's say, the league is 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 called off? Um, do, do you feel that, it, as if you were a Liverpool fan, would you feel feel like it was the title if it was awarded like would you feel like it won the league even though you know they only needed two wins after all or will it always have a a giant gold asterisk in the background do you think i think the probably the way i'd kind of see liverpool fans taking it upon themselves is the same way juve fans take upon themselves <laughs> that title they glossed or got taken away from them you know you still say 19 on the pitch they they bring up the same kind of uh mantra for their kind of you know they've they've still won the league it would just drop into the number. They wouldn't say one Premier League or they, they'd find a way of bringing it in. And I think that's the probably the best way that they they deal with it. I'm not sure what Ajax are going to do. Uh, I imagine they'll say something similarly, you know, with the Dutch League and how that's gone, that they've not been awarded the title, but they've been awarded first place. It's, yeah, you're the champions of this point. But I think, yeah, as a Liverpool fan, I'd be rightly apoplectic if we weren't given the league. Um, in terms of their kind of position in the table, I can't think of anyone else across Europe with such a commanding league, lead in the league. Um, but yeah, I think, as you say, with Jurgen Klopp being very quiet on the situation, I think that's one of those because you don't want to upset anything or look like you've influenced yeah. any decisions. You just keep quiet and it should kind of resolve itself. And I think yeah. they all know that they've, in their heads, they've already won the title, haven't they? Really, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't think anyone can disagree that they weren't the best team in England this season. Um, so I think from that point of view, yeah, they just won't have the necessary silverware, which for someone like Sadio Mane, who didn't even know you get a medal uh, <laughs> for winning the Premier League, I think he'll be fine about. But yeah, I think what's going to happen further down the league would be more interesting. Yeah, in terms that's of, I think the reason why 
and it might seem disrespectful to other leagues to say it, but you know the table had already taken shape in terms of the the big teams were already near the top, the little teams were already near the bottom, so to speak. So when uh, the Dutch league kind of gone, yeah, that's fine. We'll write off this league. You know, Ajax were already at the top. PSV were more or less up there as well. Um, I think the only one was Twente were somewhere in mid-table and maybe could have been slightly higher. But because the Premier League is such a, um, not a mess, because it would be disrespectful to the teams like Leicester uh, and Sheffield United who have great seasons. You know, Wolves, if you, uh, you know, if Arsenal win that game in hand, they'd be on the same points as Wolves in sixth. So, you know, there are some good seasons out there, but when you've got these kind of, you know, teams that you would say are the top six and not in their natural position, I think that's where they've been a bit more tentative about what they're going to do because mm. they'll get all those law, you know, the, 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 the suits that will come out from this, you know, from Spurs, Arsenal, because they've not been afforded this opportunity. You know, even Leeds will go into it because if mm. they're not going to relegate anybody and Leeds want to come up, I think that's a really interesting one from the championship because you do have two teams there that are Premier League quality at the top. I'm Hold not too... Thought, yeah. Because I'm coming into that. <laughs> yeah. I would like to go um, into yeah. the playoffs as well. But yeah, yeah. we can go I th- into I that. Think, I think uh, you make an interesting point there as well about the legality side. I believe FC Utrecht are the first club that have filed a lawsuit about the yeah. situation in, in Holland. Um be interesting to see where that goes. But I think... Um, from what I can gather, the logistics of, of that being a lawsuit, I think, I think, you know, to pass a lawsuit like that, I, I just can't see it holding any weight. Um, but yeah, you, you mentioned a, a rather large club there that I want to ask Joel about. Um, Leeds, Leeds United mm-hmm. are sleeping giant, a massive club um, who seemingly under Bielsa this year had finally got it right. They they sort of ridden that that crest of a wave. Um, they and West Brom, probably the two outstanding clubs in the Championship. Um, is there a risk if if Leeds don't if Leeds don't get really what they were looking for? Rodri Son is is quite a, an outspoken guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he he stated there's a lot at stake here, including even whether Bielsa was to stick stick around. Mm-hmm. You know, he might mm-hmm. say I've had enough. Where do you sort of where do you think that Leeds and, and West Brom go with with this if the league was to be cancelled? Well, I think uh, from Leeds' perspective, what you hear is that they've absolutely banked on going up this year. Um, mm. They've got, Josh spoke about uh, Fulham with Knockout. Uh, Leeds have got the same with Augustin and uh, Helder Costa. So they've got an obligation to buy Helder Costa in the summer. Uh, I think it's for 15 million, he's on 60 grand a week. So they've got obligations. Bielsa's the highest paid manager uh, in the Championship by some distance and probably would be towards the top of the Premier League in terms of what they pay him. Uh, I heard on Sky Sports today that they, they called Radziani uh, a wealthy man. I don't think that's the case. I think he's completely gambled with Leeds. I think his plan is if Leeds get promoted is to sell. And there's talk of the Qataris buying Leeds the same ownership of, as PSG. So I think if Leeds are in a situation where they don't get promoted um, financially, it's absolutely financial ruin for them. But I think they would go down the, the legal uh, angle um, mm. and, and they would be one of the most forceful clubs taking that forward because it's, it, it's almost like a bit like Liverpool for Leeds where they've waited so long to do it and it's finally, you know, as much as it pains me, it's finally looked like it's going to happen for Leeds. Um, 
to have it to have it taken away at this point would be pretty harsh. There's no precedent though, is there? Because if you look at Scotland, they've Premier League Scottish Premier League is still as it is, they're not deciding that, but Leagues 1, 2 and 3 did the vote, which was contentious, but then they said original placings would stand, mm. so it would have promotion and relegation, whereas the Dutch League has said, no, you know, it's as it is, they're not going to be in the league winners, they're not going to be relegation, so there's no precedent being set anywhere yet, which you can benchmark against to see how it's going to work. Um, but if you're a Leeds fan, I think we've got to give it that, there probably was going to go up, and I think if they don't go up, I think it will change the course of the club, because Bielsa will Almost certainly leave. I mean, he was almost close to leaving last summer when they didn't go up by the playoffs. There wouldn't be a chance to stick around again. I don't think they could afford to him because he's on reportedly on three million pound a year. I mean, to be paying that in a championship is incredible anyway. And I think the rest of the wages, the likes of Bamford and uh, and they've just put Carlin Phillips on a new deal. They're not going to be on anywhere near average championship wages. They'll be on probably Premier League money as it stands now anyway. So hey, Kiko Casillas is another one. So. Um, and same with West Brom. I mean, West Brom had a good go in the... the they got Grzycki from Hull and they also signed Robinson on loan from Sheffield United. So West Brom had a bit of a, a go in in January as well. So they'll have almost... Um, and they held on to the likes of Livermore. So they'll have probably budgeted for being in the Premier League next year and they'll be paying Billich. Decent sum. So West Brom would probably much be the same behind Leeds. Probably not as financially um, almost ruined as Leeds would be, but I think they wouldn't be far behind in terms of a legal case putting that forward to the to the EFL um, if yeah. it doesn't go ahead and if they don't award relegation promotion but from a championship perspective if they finish the season and don't and just call it as it is I'd be pleased for Hull because since Celine Bone and Grzycki if you could have written how bad it was going to go um, <laughs> it probably it pretty much went that way um, so they were in free fall and probably would have gone down and that was the feeling um, so the season ending at the point it did was massively helpful for Hull. So um, that's me being biased in that respect, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. I'm sure Bolton fans of the league below are thinking exactly <laughs> yeah, the same. Yeah. I think they're probably uh, in that kind of that boat at the moment. I want to um, um, broaden the debate um, further. I'll, I'll bring Lana in here. Lana, what's your kind of thought process then moving forwards? So, from your perspective, like, I think your best best um, suited of all of us to speak about the effects of, of you know how this affects families um, emotional states mental states um, and and how it affects the people around where do you sit in terms of the leagues you follow so particularly with Juventus in Serie A and, and with Lyon in, in France what, what would you do right now would if, if you ha- if you had the power to God help us you had the power to, to make the decision um, and you're going to call the leagues off what what would you do? Would you would you basically null and void the season? Would you say, right, we put a fork in it and we'll pick it up with the same points when we're ready to go? Would you do neither? Um, and and how how would you structure that? Like, what would be your decision based on it? Because, like you said yourself, it's not just about the sport; it's it's the whole effect of all the players who might have the disease, who might contract it, the families, the you know, the workers at the grounds, everything. What what would you do in in this situation moving forward? Oh, that's a difficult one. On one <laughs> hand, you want to basically null and void it. Uh, I have no sympathy for Liverpool. Screw them. Uh, I hope they don't get it. Uh, so, uh, to every Liverpool fan listening to this, you can kiss my ass. Anyway, you could start from the start. Just like, you know, go back and, you know, reset the season. 
it would make the most fair considering if I'm being semi-biased, you have Leon who's in the Champions League. You have PSG who just qualified against Dortmund where everyone basically, myself included, thought they were going to choke like they did last year um, and the year before. And Leon are literally 90 minutes away from qualifying and going through to the next round, which is like a lot of money involved as well. How is it fair for them if we cancel null and void the season and they're still in a competition which they can get into next season so and at the same time as much as I despise Marseille uh, it's not fair for them to miss out or Ren to miss out uh, because they've had great seasons I hope to god Danny mutes this part because Mo cannot hear me say this Uh, so it's like it won't be fair to anyone uh, you know, from top to bottom. Uh, the only one who will be winners is basically PSG. Because they don't care if they don't win the title. They've won so many. Uh, they're still going to be in the Champions League, League next season. They have the money to buy whoever they want. Um, they might be the only ones who won't be, you know, affected by this. If you look at it from all the big leagues. City will, because, you know, they're banned from the Champions League. Will it resume from this season or will it start a new season next season where they're banned? You know, because I think the only one who comes out as winners are basically PSG from this. Um, So it's difficult to know what's fair and what's not fair. Because what might be fair for one team or one league could be so unfair for the other leagues. So maybe follow what Aula said and finish the season. So, you know, do it from September to December and then just do it from a calendar year up until the World Cup. It makes sense. Uh, it's best suited for everyone, I would assume. Uh, I don't know. What's your take on this? Uh, you hate Liverpool probably as much as I do, <laughs> if not more. Well, I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't say I hate them. Strongly dislike. Hate is reserved for Spurs. But um, sorry, Gage, if you're listening. But uh, no, I... I, I... I mean, I just, I, th- I think there's so much, uh, so much in this whole situation. I, from from day one, um, my view on this whole thing was, I think when it initially broke out, I think probably like a lot of us, I kind of went, ah, oh, okay, well, that, you know, that, that'll blow through, we'll be fine, you know, um, we'll, we'll get past it. It'll be a short-term thing, we'll all be fine. And then obviously the actual sort of lockdown of countries started coming in, particularly when it happens on your doorstep in the UK and you start to sit up and think about it and go, actually, this is this is quite nuts. And I think the longer that this has gone on and the, the more it has affected people and, and their families, I think, uh, and people that people who know around them, the idea of football or sport in general being played right now, to me, is utterly nonsensical in every way, shape or form. The idea that you would have to, like Joe, you were saying, where you'd have to get players, you'd have to come off, you know, go to a base. I think Drew, you touched on it as well, like players having to go to a certain place before they go to, to training. So, like this isn't this isn't just something like where there's some dog muck in the middle of the pitch and you've got to play around it. This is something where you literally can have one person contract this. And, and it resets everything. You can have one situation where they're saying, oh, we'll play the games behind closed doors. 
that you still need to have ambulance crews on on standby. You still need to have people who are managing the ticket office on standby. You still need to have stadium safety organisations monitoring games. And not only that, it's all very well saying we're playing games behind closed doors. Let me take you back to PSG Dortmund. Did the PSG fans sort of take that on board and stay at home? No. You know, Atletico Madrid fans came to Liverpool for that game. Um, in their thousands, you know, okay, not their fault. They were advised it was safe to do so. But the idea that you wouldn't get the, uh, there's a lot of sensible people out there, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of a lot of tribal fans and a lot of people who, without being too snotty, are not educated enough to realise that this is very serious. We're seeing this on our doorsteps, you know, in the UK and um, worldwide, where people are still going out, treating it like it's normal. Um, you know, there's a lot going on in America. Drew, you probably would have seen more of this than, than I would have, where, you know, people are sort of saying, oh, fuck it, we'll just get back to normal. It, it doesn't affect us. If if you throw that into the sporting arena um, and you start telling people, you know, you've got to stay home, you can't come to games, but they still do. And then a player happens to interact, but, you know, either either deliberately or not deliberately. And then they pass it through. And it's just, for me, I, I just I can't. The, the Premier League in particular from our perspective, to me, it's all about money. That that's all this can be about. And and you know, with the Champions League and and the Europa League to a lesser degree, you know, that's all gone very quiet. It, it's it's all it's got to be about money. Um, Drew, I'll bring you all in on this one. But Drew, where where do you sit? I mean, how how is it in the US at the moment? Because I've seen it. Obviously, you've got a, a slightly controversial gentleman running running the country, to say the least. Um, you know the there's a lot of very big states in the US, obviously. Um, there's a lot going on in the US right now. Where, where, where do you, where is the sort of sporting calendar in the US sitting on on this in terms of all the other big franchises? It's not sitting anywhere. Um, like for example, one of my friends, she works for the NBA, and she keeps telling me that NBA is toiling with building one or two off like site locations where they can do closed door basketball games, like four or five a day. And just bring your players in, have it done, and bring them out. So it's kind of the same thing, but you know, um, most rational-headed people aren't trying to push for the leagues to start. Uh, the NHL is saying that they want to push the season back till December, which the hockey season normally starts the first week of October. So thinking of already pushing it back two months, way after quarantine is supposed to be over, just because all the data is coming out that they're expecting another wave of it later on. You know, if you just pay attention to what the scientists are saying, that you have to plan ahead for that. So, um, like MLB has no plans to start on time. It would have already it would have already started. Baseball was already a month old. So, you're not going to start a 162 game baseball season two months late, three months late. That's not possible. So either they push the season longer or they just wait for the next season to begin again. But the thing about American sports franchises is a lot of them are completely fine for money. You know, the way that finances work here, then, so as opposed to football, it's okay. Um, a lot of players are taking like big pay cuts to help out. A lot of the players are um, helping to pay for the salaries of employees of uh, franchises. Um, a couple of basketball players have said that they're going to pay, that they personally will out of their pocket pay for the salaries of any person who does concessions at like the arena or whatever kind of thing. So um, things like that help the community out a lot. Um, yeah, there's no, there's no, there's no clamor. Really, there's no clamor to get to get back. The clamor is coming from the handful of states that I don't have to mention that I don't personally go to, obviously, um, for a quote unquote return to life. We'll say that you know we'll use Alabama as an example. Um, 
<laughs> but other than that, like here, for example, like I think I've, apart from like running errands to like the grocery store or the pharmacy or whatever, I think I've literally, I've left my house four times mm. in the last couple of weeks. And it's because if you think about it, like even for, for me to just leave my apartment, I have to, when I leave my apartment, there's potentially 20 people I can run into to go downstairs, six floor, there's another 70 people to go out my front door. This whoever else, you know, right down the street, there's apartment buildings everywhere that are all 10 stories tall, which have hundreds of people in them. Right. And I live in a part of New York city that isn't even heavily populated. I live in like the North part of it. So it's suburby. But if you go like into Manhattan, there's, it's unavoidable that you're going to run into hundreds of thousands of people you know, or hundreds of people rather. So it's just like, there's just no sense in trying to take sports and putting athletes who you know, have to come into close contact with each other to, to to kind of get things back in motion. And there's a lot of also scientific data coming out that are saying that people are getting reinfected after they pass clear. Mm. So even if your athletes are tested and even if they're okay, if they had it, they can still get it again. And if they haven't gotten it, they can still get it, you know? So, and the only sports you can social distance with is like tennis, golf, like things like that where there's automatic just by the rules of the game where there's automatically minimum of six feet away from each other but things like hockey football baseball american football you know none of that's possible mm. so it's really worth the risk you know i think it's just we live in a time period where instant gratification and people want to heavily rely on the things that make them happy when they don't get it you know they they start throwing their toys out of the practice you know an expression from you guys so it's just frustrating yeah. Yeah, like I'd rather. I'm more. Hmm? I was just going to say, and it's funny that you've seen um, two contact sports, quote unquote, sport, where you've seen like the the WWE, for example, are continuing um, as a, as a apparently an essential business. Nothing to do with the fact that the McMahons are very close to to Parliament in, in the US and have an awful lot of money, um, and also Dana White wants to continue to run UFC shows, mm. which you would think, on the face of it, would be absolutely mental, but. Apparently, you know, that, again, is, is going to go ahead. It, it, it does beg a belief. Um, you touched on something there, Drew, I want to ask Joel about as well. Joel, there was a story. I don't know. I don't actually know how genuine this was or whether this was the truth. But didn't La Liga um, come out with this thing of saying that when the games come back, that there would be mm. essentially social distancing in the game and that players <laughs> touch each other? So, like, how does that work at corners? You know, do they change the ball every cycle? Was that true? I, I, I don't know. It, there's been so much of this. I mean, yesterday on TalkSport, they were talking about um, it'd be a red card if a player was to spit on the pitch. Um, <laughs> so you're hearing a lot of this. I mean, a lot of it's here. I mean, to play football without with social distancing is just, I mean, it's not football, is it? I mean, it's not physically possible, is it? Yeah. So um, there are a lot of these stories. I think one thing I wanted to touch on is the Champions League is interesting because UEFA must be in the same situation as a league basically where it's got obligations to broadcasters probably more than an individual league when you think about where they'll sell the rights and to who if they're they probably need the Champions League to carry on and the Europa League to carry on but in the in the in the case of PSG um it's a massive disadvantage to them because if they resume it for example after the Premier League and Serie A, for example, have come back and played their games, and then the tag with the how do PSG get remotely match fit to be able to compete in that tournament? Uh, I don't understand it. 
Nasr Al Khalifa went out and said that they would still play the Champions League despite League One being cancelled. They would go to another country. <laughs> but I get that, but how? And they could, but who would they play? Yeah, that's what level? Good question. What level? They can play be a friendly. <laughs> so you're going to be they're yeah. going to be competing yeah. against teams who are playing competitive league football and then playing a game against somebody who's you know Paris have been playing friendlies in wherever they choose to play the friendlies it's just who's even going to want to play friendlies with them cuz exactly I yeah mean, imagine yeah. social distancing against messi yeah. i read that article like you have to be two i don't know how much that is in feet but 2 meters away you can't hold anyone during a corner and I'm like, do you mm. know how many players spit during a game? Mm. Basically, mm. you would have to send up the whole team. Mm. Mm. Imagine socially distancing so, like against Kylian Mbappe or Neymar yeah. or someone like Kosem Awad. That's impossible. Messi would get so, 100 goals a season, wouldn't he? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean the only advantage I've seen is, uh, is for David De Gea. Basically, just like you know, uh, break the record for most goals scored by a youngster. So, I mean, but Joel has a point. Like, who would PSG play? Because mm. they always blame the you know their competitive level, by mm. you know judging by how low the level is in League One, which they can't mm. do anymore because we've seen you know the low teams as they like to call them beat PSG. Um, so that shouldn't be an issue for them. Because they like to, you know, talk a lot, but they rarely t- walk the talk. You know, I'm, I'm sure the there's North many. I think with PSG, they've got finances outside of PSG, shall we say? To uh, I think it, they would convince other clubs to come and join in with friendlies through some other incentive. It, but as you say, it's got to. If you want someone Flash who's track. also match fit, it's going to have to be. You know, is it Arsenal going out there? We've been knocked out of Europe. Uh, we're a, you know, if Premier League comes back, is it those kind of clubs that you're trying to convince to play a one-off game overseas? Yeah, as you say, it's, it's gonna... still not going to have the intensity of a proper no. competitive no. game, is it? Irrespective no, of like whether they pay anybody to go and play there. Um, and how long does how long does preseason draw? I mean, what you're talking? So, see, say, say in La Liga, for example, season finishes in in May, and mm. most teams are off June and July. And then they're back in August. Well, we're we're entering week seven now, so yeah. we're we're not far off essentially of having a summer off. So if I was a player or if I was a manager, I'd, I'd be very interested to know what Diego Simeone, for example, as a character, would have to say about this. I would be saying to the league, "Yeah, we'll come back, no problem at all, but we want two months preseason. So mm-hmm. that's what we you know, until we come back, we want a proper preseason schedule. Um, you know, we want all of the the club staff, the club doctors, everything in place because. This is this is the bigger thing, particularly yeah. when you look at clubs like of the stature of Real Madrid, Barcelona, or you know to use Barcelona's moniker mm. um, like more than the club. It's not just about what happens on the pitch; it's mm. the whole preparation, the branding, the the stadium, the whole thing. If you haven't got everything back in place, you can't just say to the players, "Right, well, you go off and do your thing; we'll sort the rest out as we go." You need it all in place, don't you? No, and I think what's also interesting is the the plan is if they do bring it back games would be played every two to three days. I, I can't see many clubs being up for that in the sense no. that, so we're going to bring our players back really quick. Then we're going to play them every two or three days. But the chances of picking up injuries and and fatiguing the players is, is too much. So some clubs who've got an, an older profile of team will not be up for that one in 
one bit whatsoever. I mean, it won't affect some teams who are a lot younger and fitter. I'm not saying that I'm saying all these players are fit, but the, the chances of getting, you know, but the quality of the football is going to diminish as well as the products because the players are not going to be as, as fit if they are playing every two or three days. Mm. It's not really and what if a high-profile um, player? I'll ask you this one, Josh. What if a high-profile player, um, let's let's say someone like oh I don't know Neymar, um, comes out and says I'm not playing? Well, we've seen we've seen sort of um, Meza Özil, for example, this you know, the past week. There's been a lot of controversy about him, um, you know, saying that he doesn't want to doesn't want to necessarily take a pay cut. And now, when you scratch below the surface of this, it's not just him saying I'm greedy footballer. Fu, it, it, it's essentially a, a player actually having a sensible point of view and going, A, I'm not ready to defer my wages until I know when I'm actually coming back. And B, why, like, surely the players have got a say. Surely that surely these, these high profile players have got a right to turn around and say, well, no, we're not coming back yet. Like, we have got a lot of these young players have got young families or have got elderly relatives. Like, surely it's going to take just one big player to come out and say, nah, not doing it. And then other players are going to quite rightfully, like the Ozil deferment of wages situation, start looking at their own situations and going, actually, I kind of want to know what, what the future is going to be before I commit to coming back to, to training or playing. Yeah, I mean, the only reason the Premier League kind of finished or at least postponed was purely down because a manager got coronavirus. You know, with the, yeah, the Premier League, we're still trying to, we're, try, we're still trying to, pursue games mm. you know the uh french league had shut down the Liga had shut down Serie A had obviously shut down weeks beforehand as kind of the european epicenter of the whole thing but yeah premier league was still trying to push on still trying to get games played and it's it's just so odd that they kind of want to well we've kind of discussed why they want to bring people back in as soon as possible because they've got these huge television deals that they want to kind of push through and make sure that they're kind of fulfilled from their point of view. But I can't see them trying to bring it back and without there being either some kind of cure for it, a vaccine uh, or anything previous, because as you say, just any player who gets it, the whole thing falls down again. You know, Reset, it was like, yeah. yeah, it was like Bundesliga trying to bring it back as well. That's all they were all like, Oh yeah, we've got all this great plan. And then someone else gets it. And they're like, uh, we've got this great plan. And no one's kind of thought further through because they know the answer to that already, which it isn't mm. just a, oh, this is just an open-ended question. It is, you have to stop playing again. And that's up mm. and down the leagues because especially if, you know, say La Liga come back and they play two or three games a day and you're not showing symptoms for seven days, you've been in three different places in the country, potentially. Yeah with three different groups of players and backroom staff, mm. you've, you've spread that definitely mm. across, across the region. And, mm. you know, these players have still got to go out and yeah, it's just going to be so. But, but the thing is, Josh, you, what you'll also have then is that then you've got to postpone the fixtures because you're going to have to then quarantine mm. that team on the team that yeah. they've yeah. played. So you're going to yeah. have, the fixtures are going to be scheduled, but then they're going to be cancelled midway through this rearranged season because you're having to quarantine players. Yeah, it's like playing FA Cup fixtures after the draw's been done and even after you know certain rounds have finished, you're into the next round and you've got a replay occurring yeah. afterwards. Yeah. It just throws the competition Make out of whack. Are you playing 
especially because you know it's like the team you've got available and those players that are available are they still available at that point because we've gone yeah, through well, things like transfer windows well the premier league came out didn't they and said that they were going to extend the um the registration list from 25 to a 29 man squad and and the viewpoint, although they didn't actually say this, but reading between the lines, what they're essentially saying is you could afford to have three or four players who, quote unquote, have got it or got the symptoms because we're extending it. So you can bring in um, these other four players. Now, speaking from an Arsenal perspective. So what you're basically saying is, um, say, for example, Aubameyang, Leno, David Luiz and... Uh, I can't think of an influential midfielder, fill in the blanks here. Um, they've all got it, so they're all quarantined. That's fine. Don't worry, though, because you can bring in um, that lad who scrubs the boots. You can bring in he, that guy who made the tea, who's on a, a four-year scholarship. You can bring in Pablo Marie, who, who hasn't had a game for us yet. And you can bring on Cedric Suarez, who's got half a leg. But that's not a fair playing field when you're playing Man City's first team, who nobody's got it, and they're all fine. Yeah, I And think then you've that's... got another legal you could say that's the case of any injury crisis though, that if you've got yeah, any true. player that, you know, we've, especially as Ars- I say, especially as Arsenal fans, all teams have injury crises, crises at some point and come up against a fully, you know, a team at full strength. But I think where we're looking at it is that, you know, there is a cure for a broken leg and, you know, yeah. that all these things have been sustained generally through playing the sport. The game, yeah. I think yeah. The things like coronavirus is, you know, it's completely preventable mm. from this point of view. It's just by being sensible, not necessarily having to bring them players back. And with the Premier League adding an extra three slots, well, teams are already down mm. to the 25 players. You know, the rest is made up with youth signings or youth players, exactly. anyone under the age of 21. So are they then saying, yeah, you can sign some more players because they're going to open yeah. the transfer window up? Or is this some unregistered players that, you've got elsewhere that are on loan somewhere, like say Serie A void. Does that mean we get Mkhitaryan back from an Arsenal perspective who was on loan there? It's not Mm. in our squad anymore. Mm. Is that the way they're looking at it? That you can recall players from loan? Can we bring then, Lieber in? Who's always an Arsenal player and the league has finished. So can we bring him in now? Yeah, exactly. But then will Italy, well, to be fair, saying players coming back into England at the moment with how we're screening uh, people coming in from foreign lands at the moment for Corona mm-hmm. is maybe not the thing, but can we get, you know, will they even allow say Mkhitaryan back into the country because he's been mm-hmm. in lockdown in Italy for however long. And that also, yeah. as we kind of mentioned towards the beginning, there are players that yeah. went to see their families who aren't here and we've got to get them back as well. Mm-hmm. And who knows what kind of condition they're in as well. Yeah. What yeah, about exactly. the players whose contract runs out on, is it June 31st? Yeah, June 30th. Yeah. June 30th. So, what do you do about that? Month extension is the talk, isn't it? But again, so if, you're, like, yeah. if, you're, if you're a player like, I mean, Cedric Suarez is the one that we've all discussed at Arsenal. If you're, if you're essentially you joined a club through an agent with the view to joining permanently, but he hasn't played a game for us. There's almost a way out for both players and um, and the clubs because arguably, like you were talking about the earlier issue with Leeds having um, yeah, stipulations to buy players, etc. What about those players where they've gone to a club on loan and it hasn't really worked out for them? Can the clubs now just go, oh, actually, well, we don't fancy you anymore? And the player turns around and goes, well, hang on a minute. Um, yeah, I was shit for four months. 
but I technically had two months of the season left. I might have been absolutely lights out and scored 15 goals. And the club turns around and goes, well, well there's no sign of it. The player goes, yeah, but you don't know that. Can they skin this? There's, there's nothing been written into these players' contracts of previously to state how they get around that. And, and you've got to think that now contract law and um, transfers is going to change massively, surely. You know, are we are we finally going to see the bottom of the transfer market fall out as a result of this? Um, what do you think to that, Lana? I'll ask Drew on this one as well in a second. What do you think on that, Lana? Do you think the transfer window changes as a result of all of this? Oh, yeah, immensely. I Only, you know, just the fact that you mentioned that the contract which expires now would be extended. Say someone like, oh, whose contract is expiring now? A good player, someone like Pjanic, um, who expires on the 30th. You extend it a month and he gets injured. Uh, Season, you know, uh, ending injury. Who is going to sign him? Because he's a free agent. Would a player want to risk that? I wouldn't, personally, if I know that I could, you know, cherry pick whoever I want. I know that I'm wanted by Bayern Munich, by Barcelona, City, United, and I could risk during those four weeks to, you know, get an injury or whatever. And I risk on missing out on signing for a big club and I'm, you know, clubless. Would Mm. a player want to risk that? Because, as you said, there's nothing in their contract protecting them. Mm. By Mm. definition, during a situation like this, you're you have no protection whatsoever. There's no insurance for it because it's nothing you, you know, we've been through before. It's also who wants to be bringing on new ages at this time. Yeah. yeah. Well, who wants to sign new players? There's also a point you use Mkhitaryan as an example. So he's probably out the door at Arsenal. Um, he's on loan to June. So he'd be on loan to whenever in, in June. But if Roma send him back, Arsenal have probably budgeted for him to have gone by, I don't know, the 5th of July. Mm. They've now got that incurred cost of his wages. And I, I guess Arsenal can suck it up. But if you take the lower leagues, for example, if you've got somebody in League One who's on six grand a week and you've budgeted from the 1st of July, you'll have him off your wage bill. But you actually need him for the remainder of this season. You've mm. now got to find... Because you might be replacing him with a player on two grand a week. So you've got to find four grand a week for a player that you thought you was getting rid of on June the 30th, but you've now got to extend his contract. That's, yeah, I mean, I the, the bigger clubs can suck that up, maybe. I mean, Arsenal probably pay Mkhitaryan, what, 150 a week? So that's, as an example, but I mean, lower down the leagues, that's an, an added headache just to say extend the contract. I don't think it's as quite as easy as that for clubs in the lower leagues at no. all to just to extend the contract. I think we were discussing with Leeds, we can do a great one with Ben White, who's on loan from Brighton. It's absolutely mm-hmm. key to everything that happens with that side. Um, the reason, one of the reasons they're up so high is because he's been the mainstay of that defence. They got a budget for him to be in, well, playing for the for Leeds in August, and then kind of comes back. Football comes back, and then it, the same thing happens again. We go back into lockdown, and then they end up voiding the league. That's you know a good couple of grand that they easily didn't need to have been mm-hmm. spending mm-hmm. because of mm-hmm. the, just the umming and ahhing of do we bring, how do we bring it back? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, what was was your take on transfer side of things, Drew? As well, like you mentioned about the the Jaden Sancho deal is is the big one that's being talked about. Um, there's also a lot of uh, sort of uh, sort of talk about Timo Werner potentially interesting Liverpool. Um, the other the other one that I was really fascinated by is Zupamencano, who has been long since linked with with Arsenal and Premier League clubs. Um, his value is that going to decrease? You mentioned like the big clubs is not a big issue, but do you see transfer fees changing? Because German clubs are notoriously quite business is very different there, isn't it? You know, you see players move between Dortmund and Bayern, for example. It's not like it is in the Premier League where clubs won't sell to each other. Do you think there'll be more of an emphasis, like we're saying to Lana, about the the youth players coming through in German clubs now? Do you think the transfer window will change? Because Germany is always always a country that is notoriously, you know, very well managed, very sensible in how they how they do things. I mean, you can't focus any harder on youth players than you already do in Germany anyway. So that fact won't change. It's just soon, it's just going to persist. Um, like an example, you know, Joshua Zerxi at Bayern Munich is a prime example. You know, he's he's come through. He's gotten a lot of time even before all of this. He was breaking through. So it's just one example that a club of Bayern stature can still bring through younger players that are quite good. And you have that running down the entirety of the league. Even smaller clubs will have at least one or two players Every year, younger players that will see time. So, um, and a lot of them also buy young, buy young and develop. You don't, you don't, and either buy young and develop, or, you know, a lot of them will bring in maybe one or two players on one or two year deals just to kind of solidify the squad. So, squads are getting younger and younger. And if I remember right, I think the Bundesliga has the second lowest average age group and per, per club other than Eredivisie of the top, like, seven leagues, if I can't remember. but So that won't change. And regarding transfer deals, though, I mean, I think you'll see clubs maybe talk to the players and say, look, I know you want to leave this year, but, you know, can you kind of hold on for one more year? So, like, we'll allow you to leave, but we want to make sure we get fair compensation. Um, Upa Makano is a prime example. You know, the other day, um, you had um, Bill was saying that, they came to terms with Bayern. It's just the club with the hash out the fee. And now, you're, now they're saying that he might wait on, he might stay one more year. Sport Build saying he might stay on one more year, you know, a one year extension. That's clearly Leipzig putting that in on the table for him saying you get another year of Champions League, you get another crack at winning the Bundesliga, and then we'll let you go. But for a value that we deem acceptable because we're not going to get it this summer, you know, he, Bayern's not going to want to pay 60 million. They can, but they're not going to want to, and they're going to use this sort of epidemic as, as the reason. You know, Timo Fern is another prime example of that. Yet, essentially, we already mentioned all of that. So, I think it will affect the bigger players in terms of how clubs will handle that. But the other deals, business is, as usual, you know, a lot of there's a lot of chances for five million pounds there, six million pounds there, you know, eight million euro, whatever have you. So, that I don't think will much change, even with bigger clubs. Um, but for uh, for the bigger name players, I think you might see um, something very different just this this summer. I think if things go back to normal for next season, I think it will be kind of business as usual in that regard. But um, I don't think we're going to see the moves that we thought. Um, and I think no. I can kind of see the clubs. Um, I can see their standpoint of it. You know, why why do I want to mess up on 120 million? You know, pounds for Sancho this summer um, because of this. Like, I, why, why would I sell? You know, and also, why would he leave as well? So, it's mm. the circumstances. It's just this year. So, um, yeah, I think yeah, across everything else, I think it'll remain. It'll be okay, but it's part of the summer though. Yeah, so. yeah time will tell. Um, 
we, we are going to wrap up in a moment. Um, just before we do, I do want to give everyone an opportunity just to bring up sort of anything else that they might want to mention. Um, Josh, I know you need to leave pretty immediately, um, so I'm just going to give you the last word before I go to the other guys. Uh, I just want to get your thoughts on the Newcastle takeover. We touched on it earlier on. Um, how, where does it sit with you? Are you comfortable with it? Are you not comfortable with it? Saudi backing, questionable human rights, etc., and so on? Um, I mean, in terms of kind of the Newcastle in general, I think the fan base would be delighted that Mike Ashley is out of the club. In terms of his finances at the moment, he's got a massive tax bill that he's got to pay, plus the fact that, you know, he's in the high street. The high street is currently closed. He's got a lot of overheads he needs to get rid. So it makes sense that this deal is happening at this point. You know, he needs £300 million from somewhere, so he's got to kind of get rid of one of his assets. In terms of Saudis coming in, um, I think it's one of those where I saw everything kind of coming through was from a lot of like Qatari people raising flags against this. And I know there's a lot of uh, tension between the two countries. And I wondered if that was more of where we were seeing this about moral issues between them, because, you know, the Qatari World Cup is not the squeakiest of clean World Cups we've ever seen in terms of human rights issues. So I'm not going to say this just because we've got one, we shouldn't have the other. I think we shouldn't have either, really, because they've both got deplorable records. But there's also not many squeaky clean billionaires out there, should we say. There's not many people that you can go through the clubs and say, right, yeah, they're fine. They're, you know, they're a, a decent person. But I think in terms of the Saudi thing, I think there's a bit more to it from kind of political reasons of them throwing it up because we've got Qatari owned clubs within the Premier League and further down as well. And I think that's more where that rivalry's come in rather than anything else. Um mm. but yeah, I will be surprised to see what yeah, I'll be surprised to see what kind of happens from that point of view in terms of managers that they want to get in as well. I'm not sure Steve Bruce has got much time left <laughs> there to be honest um you know i think he's done an okay job at newcastle he's got some good wins what marquee wins while he was there but uh you know talks of rafa coming back or even pochettino coming in i'm not Pardew. sure he's the yeah well Pardew, <laughs> you know he's just officially he just, um, walked, away, isn't he, again? He just walked away after um getting ten hag um free from relegation for thanks to yeah. covid19 but <laughs> Yeah, I I don't. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens to that project, and I'm happy for Newcastle fans because I think at this point they're so sick and tired of Mike Ashley. They don't care where the money comes from. No. To be honest, it could be the dirtiest money you've ever seen. But because of the fact that Mike Ashley is gone, if they do great things for Newcastle and the community get what they kind of want in terms of what they want to see on the pitch, I think a lot of that kind of things will get swept under the carpet. Unfortunately. But that's generally what happens with football is you see all of these things. You say, oh, you know, that person's, you know, really awful and terrible things, but they still get these kind of lifelines. And yeah. I think that's where we'll kind of see it kind of happen. Yeah. But yes, yeah. I do need to shoot as well. <laughs> yeah, no but worries. No. It has been great to be back. And I'm sure I'll catch the last uh, 15 minutes or so on the yes. podcast and it finally yes. comes out. Indeed. Yeah. Thank you for coming on, Josh. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll reconvene. Um, same back channel, same back time, same back place, yeah. etc. and so on. But yeah, thank you for being part of the relaunch. And um, yes, into the night with you. Enjoy your Zoom quiz. Yes. Thank you. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye.
Thank you. Um, right. So, yeah. So, final thoughts from from the rest of you guys, um, Lana. Anything else that you want to sort of wrap up um, from your perspective? Anything else you want to highlight, or anything else that's caught your eye during this this really weird time? Oh, I forgot to mention Montpellier's midfielder, Julian yes. Columbia. He's yes, in a coma. Indeed. Yeah, because of the coronavirus. Um, and he's a young player, isn't he? He's a very young, yeah, young lad. I think he's like twenty-one. Seven. No, maybe I miss something oh, like that. I'll double check. Yeah, I'll double check yeah. that. Carry on. You know, I think this coronavirus has messed with my memory as well because I can't remember things. <laughs> I think that's just like, old age. I miss football so much. The last game I saw was Leon beating Juventus. That's literally the last game I saw. And I recorded it, so I'm going to watch it again tonight. Um, uh, not much. Uh, some transfer news. Um, Awar is wanted by Barcelona and Ju Juventus and City. No surprise there. Uh, Dembele will leave uh, this transfer window or <laughs> upcoming transfer window. Um, and he's also wanted by both Barcelona and Juventus. So that should be interesting. Uh, he needs to leave if he wants a shot at the World Cup, uh, at the Euro squad uh, next summer, which is also good that it's been postponed for someone like, you know, uh, Dembele, Depay, who were both set to miss out yeah. this summer. Uh, so they must, you know, be thrilled. Um, Leon are in contract extension, looking to extend Depay's contract. Um Buffon and Kilini will extend to next year. Buffon is hell-bent on outliving us all. And then will not leave. Um, yeah, uh, there's talks about a Pogba Pjanic swap with United. Uh, unless Zidane gets his way. For some reason, Madrid don't want Pogba, but Zidane does. Uh, that should be interested. Uh, interesting. Roma wants some TT. Uh, as well as Arsenal. So maybe we will finally reunite the two best friends at Arsenal. <laughs> Please do that. As <laughs> uh, Laka walks out and TT walks in knowing Arsenal, but yeah, go on. <laughs> yeah, that would that would be so heartbreaking. I would literally <laughs> start a petition. Um, I also uh, remembered that uh, Deschamps extended his contract to next year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, which could be that he, you know, he might not go on to coach France for the World Cup. Uh, if there isn't even will be a Euro next summer, um, mm. with the way things are going, the women's uh, tournament was also postponed. If I wasn't mistaken, I think I read that it was yep. postponed to twenty twenty two, which is really good because uh, they deserve all the exposure they can get. I was really angry that uh, the men and women were going to be the same summer, but um, it makes sense to move it to twenty twenty two. Uh, they deserve all the exposure. We see that women's football is finally on the rise uh, after successful uh, World Cup. So I uh, hopefully will finally see Alda Hegeberg back in a Norway shirt if she yeah. doesn't continue her strike. Um, knowing Norway, they probably won't want her back either. So we'll <laughs> see about that. Um, yeah, I don't think... Do we have anything else to cover in France? No, I think I think like you said, I think uh, Junior Sambia, by the way, twenty three, um, yeah. which is is quite 
scary when you think about it he's in induced coma at that age when apparently there was no risk to um quote unquote sort of younger people that weren't children well that's gone out the window hasn't it appreciate there's other things going on and things we might not know different medical conditions etc but that's that's quite a scary thought but no i don't i don't think there's anything else really that's, that's Ooh, gone on say the big news about francis oh yes yeah he's shout out to him yeah. i know he's not a big um we don't like him, uh, but oh, he I cut forty percent of his wages, and he is also paying the wages for all the staff yeah. at Monaco, uh, yeah. which is huge. Uh, you know, he has his own family, a lot of kids. You know, he has things he has to focus on, but I think it's it's a really nice gesture. Uh, yeah, and he might not be my biggest. You know, I'm not his biggest fan, but it was really nice to read that. Uh, and to see just how, you know, how nice it is for footballers to step up during this time, uh, especially, you know, when clubs are struggling uh, from top yeah. to bottom. Yeah. Uh, so it's nice to read that. Uh, hopefully yeah. more players will follow through um, uh, with that. Uh, I know a lot of the clubs have cut their wages. Uh, yeah. Not everyone, but most of them have uh, to yeah. help the club. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think PSG have, but well they can afford it so. <laughs> surprise surprise um and and also uh same question to you drew um, and sort of anything else that you want to bring up and touch upon and just while i've got you i think is it Joshua Kimmich um Robert Lewandowski and there was another one wasn't there by and there was three three or four players who, who got a huge amount of money to charity um sort of originally when all this came out i can't remember who the third player was but yeah that was quite a nice nice thing to mention but um yeah anything else that you want to you want to mention at all no i'm just happy i can stop hearing arsenal fans talk about that we're going to get makana this summer (laughs) (laughs) take away everything so i can now rest easy and not be stressed anymore um nothing really much just um i think the one thing if i'll disagree with it but even if um, if Bundesliga does start back up, um, despite my disagreement of it, I think it's a really good promotion for the fact that, for me, I think it's the best league in, in Europe at the moment. So it'll, it'll at least give people the ability to, to watch more of it and get a better appreciation for it because I still think it's very underserved in the community. I think everyone is still on the uh, on the Premier League and La Liga trend. And even with Serie A's rebirth a little bit, I think more and more people are watching Italian football game, which is great because when I was a kid, that's all I would ever talked about was, you know, Juventus and Inter and, and whatnot. So um, probably just that. I mean, despite my issues with that, I think it would be nice to see football again, especially for a league that I appreciate so much. So um, no, there's really nothing else other than that, I suppose. Just, yeah. I have a question. What yeah. is your club's issue with Toliso? <laughs> Why do you want to sell him? <laughs> well, Drew's not even a bar- your, like, fan, but... he's. Oh, no, yeah, well, your league's issue, well, he's like... <laughs> Bayern's record signing, but apparently, like he's wanted by a lot of clubs now in Europe. I think Barcelona was one of them. Apparently, Barcelona wants everyone. He's okay. he's he's just not really settling under Hansi Flick than other other players are. Mm. I think it's just kind of that simple. And um, even though Bayern are financially quite strong, I mean that's money off the wage bill. You know, it allows them to to extend younger players that they're trying to block up for. As you know, Alfonso Davies signed a long term deal, but there is uh, Yashua Xerxes they need to consider. Um, there's a couple others, Oliver, Oliver Batista Meyer, they don't have to worry about locking in for a long time. Um, 
if they do have to go after Uber Meccano, then they're going to want the wages for that back. Like there's, there's a few things. I just feel like it's a combination of the finances a little bit in terms of wages and also the fact that he's just not playing well under what the other players are. And he's the type of player who he's still young enough. If he leaves Bayern, he can just reestablish himself at another club of, of stature and still kick on his, his career quite well. Because he's so extremely so versatile. Like he, he would is. fit in literally in every midfield in Europe. Yeah, yeah, he would. So I, I don't think leaving would be an issue for him. And I think both parties would be fine with it. I think Bayern have enough depth at midfield, especially with the way things have been rejiggled now. You know, you have Benjamin Pavard playing right back. Um, so, yeah, he's been amazing. And Joshua Kimmich, who was actually a midfielder when he was younger before he became a right back, is now back in midfield for Bayern and, and playing quite well. Um, despite the other options that they have, you know, Thiago is still there, you know, uh, Leon Goretzka is still there. So you still have all these type of players. They're looking at Kai Havertz, which is another big thing if they brought him in. You know, where's the room for Tiso? Is it Coutinho there as well? Yeah, but I think he's going to yeah. leave. I don't, I don't, I don't, I would be shocked if he stayed past this season. Um, he's alone, well, isn't he? Uh, alone? Yeah, it's alone. Yeah, so he's I forgot he existed. It's easy to forget that he existed. So. Um, yeah, no, again, but Bayern have options. So if they lost him, I don't think it's a big deal. But not for nothing, I would take him at Arsenal. And not that he would come to Arsenal, but I think he's a player of immense quality. And I still think that he has a lot to give. He just hasn't, he just hasn't worked out under the manager. And we've seen that with other players before. Sometimes it just doesn't click for you. It's not, it has nothing to do with I him. I welcome my arms in Turin for him. I should be in charge of <laughs> Turin, you know, of Juventus' scouting system. Like Douglas Costa. Mm. Yeah. I would yeah, bring in, like, Tuliso, Dembele, Lacazette, Umtiti. Basically all the French Awad. players. Yeah. Basically all the Leon. <laughs> <laughs> Basically the entire yeah, Leon Umtiti. I would say Umtiti from that hellhole he's stuck at. No offense, Joel. You're you're not allowed an opinion on this because you both know you like Longley more. Uh, which is, um, <clears throat> yeah, that's another debate because Joel and I are just you know just now becoming friends again after our heated debate on that pairing. <laughs> I think with Umtiti, now, what, now is in, what what is interesting with Umtiti is there is this theory that um, Valverde didn't fancy him. Um, Racism. Which could have been, yeah, which could have been pl- plausible in some respect that a manager doesn't fancy a player. But now Setien's come in and pretty much done the same. I think that says on TV. But he's played that, games, though. Yeah, but not very well. So I think it's just... You wanted him thinking. to miss out on a World Cup. A World Cup, he sent us to the final. Just like FYI, his goal against Belgium, we went to the final and won. You wanted him to miss out because of a stupid <laughs> surgery. Like... Who do you think you are? But How can you demand I, such thing? It's like I basically think, telling Messi to sit down this World Cup where he potentially could win Argentina, the World Cup, to have a surgery. Do you think Messi would listen? Mm. No. But I think you ruined Umtiti, the best, mid, best defender. But I think with Umtiti's, I just think there must be something that they're seeing or not seeing that is forcing them to maybe the injuries caught with him. I don't know. They just I did think when Setting came in that it might Setting did come in. And the first thing he did was put on TTM, mm. which everyone kind of sat back and went, oh, maybe there was something in that. And then two or three games later, he was out again and long lay played nearly every game. Too. So um, what's interesting with um, the market, just to, just to finish on it, I think what we're going to see um, is a lot of player trading. I think we'll see a lot of swaps. 
um, or player plus cash. I think that's the way the club will get around the shortfall in revenue um, and transfer budgets. I've seen Barcelona have agreed terms with Lazaro Martinez and now are trying to do a deal where they send Carlos Elena and Vidal as part of the deal. And I think we'll see a lot more of that across Europe where the big clubs will still buy players. I just think they'll have to be careful about how they do it and how they structure the deal. And I think player player swaps as part of the deal might be the way that they go. Um, I think that's the only way the clubs can finance the deals because we'll still, we're still going to see massive transfers this summer, but I think one or two, not 20 or 30, which we probably would have seen. Mm. So I still think that's Will a possibility. Will we finally get Neymar? See, the Neymar one is a really strange one because I think they were all set to do it this summer. Um, but I think this has scuppered it slightly. But the massive but to it is they promised Messi that they'll get him back. Mm. Um, and they promised him last summer. And then they went and signed Griezmann instead. Um, and I don't think they can go Sounds against like Messi against... It's almost, but it... it, it He's never, I mean, Neymar's never been the same without Messi and Messi has done well without Neymar, but he's better with Neymar in the team. And I think it's his friend. I think he wants him back. Um, so if they don't sign Neymar, I think it puts them in a really strange position with Messi that they've let him, almost in Vatican, has let him down for two summers running. I mean, the decision to sign Griezmann over Neymar was odd, but then they kind of made it look an attempt like we're going to sign Griezmann and Neymar um, when really they didn't have the money to sign Neymar. So if they just said, we'll just sign Griezmann and that's it, I think it would have been a bit more palatable than con everybody that they were going to sign Neymar for the full summer and then get to the last days of the window and say, oh, we can't do a deal, he can't get him out of Paris. I don't think there was ever the, the finance in place to get him. But I think I, I do I do think that will happen this summer. I do, I just think they'll find a way to do it. Maybe use Dembele as part of the deal or Griezmann as part of the deal. Yeah. Griezmann um, for me, that's, that makes sense. Yeah. It does. I just think it's it's he's done all right. I think, but it's just not. He's not what they needed. He's just he's a great player, but he was not. I mean, sometimes a great player doesn't fit a team. And don't get me wrong, if he stays, I think he's good for the club. He's good for the team. But I just think it just was the wrong fit for what they needed. They needed well, they needed Neymar. They needed a left winger with pace, and they went and signed a player who kind of he's pushed out to the left, not the quickest. Um, but he's a great player, but. You know, maybe Suarez will go, but obviously Sarah Martinez is still the one they want as well. So I think we'll see the Martinez arrive and Neymar arrive. And they're looking at Tonali. I don't know much about Tonali yeah. from Brescia. Um, he's huge, talent, huge. Yeah, talent, yeah. he's been linked heavily the last three or four days. But um, whether I mean, Lana, you named a lot of players they're looking at there, but I think agents just throw Barcelona out there to drum up interest because they've not got that much money to be signing every player that you see different name links every day and you think there can't be anything in that um, because they just link with so many players but um, it'll be an interesting summer I think they're going to have to be creative I think all the top clubs will have to be creative in the way they have to trade for certain yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it's going to be a very interesting, we say summer, I mean, as I say, we're, we're a couple of days off mm. being in May now, so, mm. you know, all of a sudden things have come around come around very quickly. Um, just to give our, our listeners um, a bit of insight, obviously you did at the start of the pod as to the future, um, essentially what we're going to do with our, our schedule, like we mentioned earlier on, is kind of look at, at one a fortnight initially, but what we're also going to do, um, this will depend upon my fellow panellists, of course, but... Um, 
because there's, there's just so much to discuss and there's so many things that things change day by day um i will sort of open the possibility up of doing sort of one-on-one pods so uh, at some point if if you listener if you do listener um would like to hear more from us um obviously please do let us know but the at some point i will plan to do some individual pods with all the individual um crew so uh, sort of me with one other and we'll just talk about the individual leagues or um just kind of shoot the breeze basically so um, look out for those uh, as i said initially at the moment we're kind of working on a schedule of we're kind of we're back but we're still rebuilding and we're still kind of refreshing things so like i said at the start we will be setting up a couple of social media accounts we can keep in touch with us uh we'll be all being well on the usual platforms so i think if you listen on apple podcasts um on acast i think we'll be going on youtube so all of the usual spots um and i do just want to give a little shout out to uh gage reynolds um gage was uh, a former i say well again I keep, I keep saying former this is terrible isn't it they're not former friends they're current friends but um gage was a listener to our, our original hipsters podcast um back in the day and as a result, he um, he went away and said, I want to do a bit of that. And he started up his own podcast. So fair play to you, Gage. I was a, a guest on it. It's called The Slapcast, um, at The Slap Podcast on Twitter. Um, they generally sort of cover the Premier League um, because they've got fans of Spurs, Leicester, Arsenal and Palace, hence the sort of slap analogy. Um, really good, really good crew. Uh, they're all based in the US. Um really enjoyable time i had on their podcast as well so um a little bit of shout out to to gage and, and his crew for um essentially listening to us and going i'd like to do that um quite quite humbling to have somebody to do that and, and we plan to get gage and the crew on this pod at some point in the future as well so um so look out for that but as usual if there is anything that you particularly want us to cover it's it's a weird time for us all i think we're all kind of as drew touched on and lana as well i think we all have good days and bad days at the moment um you know and and as as everybody has said whatever country you're listening to this in um please adhere to the rules uh, and and make sure that you keep yourself safe and sane as best you can um and keep the exercise in and everything but just keep yourselves indoors as much as you can and Hopefully we can um, we can bring you a little bit of content to keep you uh, ticking over. So please look out for that. But uh, I will draw our return episode to a close there. Um, just want to say thank you very very much to to Drew, to Lana, and to Joel, and of course Josh, who's no longer. I say no longer with us. That sounds even worse, doesn't it? Sorry, Josh. Um, but yeah, thank you very much to everybody for coming on. So thank you very much to uh, to you, Drew. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, Lana. Thank you. She's still there. Thank God for that. And <laughs> thank you, Joel. Cheers, Chris. Thanks, guys. All right. Well, all the best to you. Um, thank you very much for tuning in. Hopefully, you've missed us enough to uh, to listen to this all the, all the way through to the end. Uh, thank you to the man in the background. You know who you are. Uh, but until next time, uh, keep your beard, keep your beard strong and your glasses trendy. Remember that? <laughs> we do. We'll speak to you very soon. Thanks for now. <laughs>